Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 1. We're talking about God's law and how it's written on the hearts of all people. Um, so as you're turning there and we're preparing to talk about God's law, let me, I want to share with you some really odd and strange laws that you, you know, if you do a Google search, you can find places where it talks about just weird laws that some of the states have passed and we're not sure why they were passed except that somebody must have done this in the past and so they had to put it in writing. So I'm going to just run through a list of some just strange odd laws. We're going to start in Kentucky. It is illegal in Kentucky to transport an ice cream cone in your pocket. I'm not sure why someone needed to transport an ice cream cone in their pocket, but you can't do it now in Kentucky. In Connecticut, it's illegal to walk across the street on your hands. So if you go to Connecticut, you're not going to see anybody crossing the crosswalk on their hands because you can't do it. In Florida, it's illegal for unmarried women to parachute on Sundays. If you're a married woman, you can parachute on Sunday all you want. And if you're married or unmarried, you can parachute Sunday or Monday through Saturday to your heart's content, but not on Sunday if you're an unmarried woman. I don't know why. In Bexley, Ohio, they passed an ordinance that prohibits the installation and the usage of slot machines in outhouses. For the, for the life of me, I don't know why you would need to use a slot machine in an outhouse. And if a gambling addiction is so strong that you can't pause for a few minutes to use the outhouse, then maybe you need counseling. All right, let's get a little closer to home, to Illinois. The last three we're gonna sh- I'm going to share with you are from Illinois. <clears throat> In Joliet... It is a misdemeanor punishable by a $5 fine if you mispronounce the name of the town and call it Joliet. (laughs) Apparently the town fathers had a pet peeve of people mispronouncing it, and so they put this into place to fine people for it. In Galesburg, no no person is allowed to keep a smelly dog. Now, this one seems more like, from your personal perspective, more subjective than objective, because if you're somebody who doesn't own any pets, you might think all dogs smell. Um, But apparently, you can't smell, you can't have a dog that smells in Galesburg. I don't know how they enforce that. Uh, Last one, in Chicago, it is forbidden to fish while sitting on the neck of a giraffe. So, people in here who like to fish, if you're going to fish in Chicago, leave your giraffe at home. Um, So, you know, somebody did these things and they felt it was necessary to put them in writing and make them laws. So, um, however, we're going to be talking about laws that actually make sense. God's law makes sense to all people. The most basic of laws or rules that um, they not only make sense, but all people groups in all cultures, in all nations, and in all times 
know them and understand them. Everyone knows that it's wrong to murder. Everyone knows it's wrong to steal, that it's wrong to lie, that it's wrong to commit adultery. Those are things that all cultures in all times have had laws against those things because everybody knows it. All people know God's law because God has written it on the hearts of all men. So let's look at our text today. Uh, We're in Acts 28, starting in verse 1. Let me just give you a quick recap before we stand and read it, uh, because it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Acts. So chapter 27, the last time we were in Acts, is the shipwreck. So they left. um, They left. It was late in the year. Paul warned them not to leave, but they said, we're going. So they left, and a hurricane-like storm came upon them, and for two weeks they were at the mercy of the storm, um, having no control over the ship. God had promised Paul, and he conveyed to the people, no one is going to lose their life. Everyone will survive this. The ship will be lost, but you will all survive. And after two weeks, they came near an island. The ship... um, had run a had run aground on some rocks and the the surf was breaking it up everybody jumped ship and swam to shore and that's where we pick up in 28 so if you're able to stand would you please stand to honor god as we read his word acts 28 verses 1 to 10 this morning after we were brought safely through we then learned that the island was called malta The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text, and I'm um, thankful for the demonstration that we see in this short text of how you have placed your law on the hearts of all people. And so, God, I pray that we would be people who would allow your Holy Spirit to work in and through us so that your law is not only on our hearts, but something that, uh, that is displayed in our life, fruit that is being born out of our life because of your Spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the first thing that we're going to look at in your notes, the first two things we're going to look at are going to be ways that we see a demonstration of God's law written on the hearts of men. 
Um, and then the third one is um, something that we're going to look at that is not explicitly in the text, but I think we can gather it from, from what is in the text. So the first one is that the Maltese people know hospitality. The Maltese people know hospitality. This comes from verses 1 and 2 and verse 7. So let's look at their response to what's happened. There's been the shipwreck. These people have jumped and they have um, been successful to swim to shore. Um, the Maltese people there show hospitality to them because it's wintertime. So I told you um, when we talked about chapter 27 that it was, it was probably late October, mid to late October when they took off. They've been on the sea for two weeks, so we're probably into the beginning of November. It's wintertime there. It's cold. Luke even tells us in the text that it's cold. And to make it worse, they've just been drenched from the ocean. They, they, they jumped ship, and they didn't have their bathing suits on that are tight-fitting and dry quickly. They had their baggy clothes on that were waterlogged, and so they're wet it's cold. Luke tells us it's, it began to rain, so the storm must have made its way to the island. And they're, so they're soaking wet. And what do these people do for them? The Maltese people are so kind to them that they build a fire to help dry them out and warm them up. But I want you to see how extraordinary this act of hospitality is, because if you remember correctly, Luke told us in chapter 27 that uh, well, first of all, God promised all people would survive the, the shipwreck, right? Luke told us in chapter 27 there were 276 people on the boat. That must have been a massive bonfire if it was built big enough to dry out and warm 276 people. It would have been a huge undertaking, but a great display of hospitality on their part. And then the other display that we see, I'm gonna, we'll come back to verses um, three to six, but let's jump forward to verse seven because here's another display of hospitality we see when the main guy, the head, the leader of the Maltese people who happened to live in the area where the shipwreck took place, and he brings all 276 people into his home and entertains them and shows what Luke says is hospitality to them. I don't know how big his estate was, but it had to have been large because he would have had well over 300 people. He would have had his family and probably servants as well in the house, and then he welcomes the 276 from the shipwreck into his home. And so... It's just a wonderful display on their part of caring and kindness and hospitality toward strangers that they don't know and have never met. Um, and I think it's important to note that hospitality is something that is really, really important to God. It's part of his character. It's a gift that he gives some people in his church, but it's also something that he commands his people in general, it's a general command to be hospitality, to, to be hospitable to people, to show hospitality. So you have, I think in your notes, you have a reference, three references. First Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 8 are both references where God commands 
elders, pastors, leaders of the church to be hospitable. So there's a specific command to those who are going to be leaders in the church. It's one of the qualities that God says you are to be hospitable. And then 1 Peter 4, 9 is a command to all believers to be hospitable. So it's a command for all of God's people. It's an important thing to God for us to show kindness and hospitality to others. If you remember Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, um, I don't, did I put that up or, I can't remember if I put that up or not. Um, Genesis 12, 3 is where God is calling Abram and one of the things he says to Abram is, I will show kindness and goodness and bless people if they show blessing and kindness and goodness and hospitality toward you and your and my people. He says this in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So it's an important thing to God that we be people of hospitality, hus- hospitality and The Maltese people are showing that. In fact, Luke's words, when he's recording this, say in verse um, 2, the native people showed us unusual kindness. No little kindness. We're talking about extraordinary kindness. This is not just, hey, we'll, uh, you know, come up, we'll we'll help you, you know, kind of get settled here on the island and then, let you go and be be on your own it was like showering them with goodness for being guests in their home hospitality is written on the hearts of these people even though they don't know god they're pagans they worship other gods and yet it's evidence of god writing his law on the hearts of all people It's an example of what Paul writes about in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15, when he says this. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. So God has written upon the hearts of all men an understanding of right and wrong, and these people understand that it is right for them and for and we need to know that it's right for us to be kind to others. Now, they didn't know God, and I think it's evident that this particular characteristic of God or this part of his of his uh, law is written on their hearts, but you might have people say, well, what about, you know, an an atheist especially might say, well, I I don't believe that there is a God. I don't believe that there's a law that is written on your hearts. And yet an atheist can be somebody who's kind and generous and hospitable. And, and so they would say a typical argument from, from that perspective would be, I can be a moral person. I can be a good person. I don't have to believe in a God to to be that. And I would ask the question, who do you think put that kindness into your heart? A lot of them will say, it's just human nature. We 
there are bad people, but the majority of the human race is good and loving and kind. But somebody, something had to put that on their heart because you don't have to look very far to see that the human race is not in our very nature good. We are selfish. We will look out for ourselves when pressed and we will do what benefits us only and treat people like dirt if there's not something in our heart that's nagging at us saying this is right and this is wrong. Where does that understanding come from? It's because God has written it on our hearts. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but their understanding of hospitality is not the only thing that indicates that God's law is written on their hearts. So point number two is that the Maltese people show or that they know right and wrong. They know the difference between right and wrong. And this comes from verses 3 to 6. Let me, let me set the scene again. So <clears throat> they've landed. They're building this fire. Paul um, is out gathering wood for the fire. Now, first of all, let's just pause there for a minute and look at Paul because Paul has, for the last two weeks, established himself as the leader. He's the person on the ship that warned not to go. They thought, these people over here know more than you do. I'm following their advice. But the moment that the hurricane-like storm came upon them, they realized maybe we should have listened to him and the word that he gave us from his God. And then as those two weeks went on, he was solidified in their minds even more and more as the one who was leading the whole crisis. And, and so, like, to the point where when people try to jump ship, he said, if they jump ship, you won't be saved, and the Roman soldiers put a stop to that real quickly. Um, when he prayed and ate and he encouraged people to eat because they needed to eat, they listened to him and they did what he told, what, what he told them and they felt better. And so... Paul has established himself as the leader. He gets to the shore. They're building this fire. Paul very very easily could have gone into leadership mode and started delegating work to people. But Paul is a servant. He's a humble man. And so Paul's not going to boss people around when he could be taking part in it as well. And so he's out also gathering wood for this fire. When he gathers wood, he's carrying a bundle. He doesn't realize that there's a viper inside the bundle of sticks that he's carrying. But when he put it on the fire, the heat from the fire drove the snake out and he fastened himself onto his hand. All right, so the Maltese people in verse 4, when they see this happen, they say, it says, Luke says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So in their minds, they're thinking, perhaps this storm came upon this ship because of him. Perhaps this was the, the way that he was supposed to be punished for what they conclude is uh, that he must have murdered somebody. But he did happen to get out of that. He happened to be wise enough or strong enough or whatever to be able to escape that However, justice is gonna ha still going to be done because now he's going to die from a poisonous snake bite. Now, 
if your Bible, if look at verse verse four, if your Bible, when you see the word justice, if your Bible do, does not have that capitalized, you might want to make a note that that should be capitalized because justice is a name. That word, that Greek word there is the word dike, D-I-K-E. And that is the name of the Greek goddess of justice. In Greek mythology, she's the daughter of Zeus and Themis, and she's always depicted as holding a balance scale. You've probably seen her. Uh, there have been variations over time that um, sometimes she's got the scale and a sword, which I would imagine is probably to exact justice, where punishment needs to be um, had. Um, so, some people have depicted her, <coughs> excuse me, with a blindfold to show that justice is not influenced by um, anything outside, but it's fair and right. But she is the Greek goddess of justice, and this is obviously one of the gods and goddesses that the Maltese people worship. The native Maltese people here believe that Paul may have escaped what was happening on the sea, but he must be a murderer, and so justice, DK, will now prevail. He can't escape it for good. And here we see that right and wrong and an understanding of right and wrong is written on their hearts, the hearts of these pagan people. They know nothing of the God of the Old Testament. They know nothing of Christianity. But they have a sense of right and wrong. They understand and they know um, that when you do wrong, and we call that sin, but when you do wrong... There are consequences. And that is something that our culture today in America, I think, just doesn't seem to understand. Or they don't, wanna, they don't want to accept it. We think we have advanced so much in our time and that those, those ideas of sin and right and wrong and um, surrendering to God's will and his commands or or else you'll suffer an eternal punishment in hell. Our culture seems to think that those concepts are archaic, that they're irrelevant, that they're just myth. Sadly, today, we have endless information and knowledge at our fingertips today if we, you know, and we can have it in seconds with the internet. And we have advanced degrees and we have advanced understanding of sciences and the medical field and all kinds of stuff. We just, we, we are, are, we're about to explode with all the information and knowledge that we have. And yet, we're actually less intelligent than the Maltese people 2,000 years ago. Because I'm, I'm talking in general as a culture, not you guys. But... As a culture, we've dismissed all that understanding of right and wrong as if it's not real. And 
we may be advanced in our intelligence. We may be advanced in what we know of so many things about life, but we've missed the basic thing that God has written on every person's heart. There is right and there is wrong and there are consequences for both. Good consequences for doing right, bad consequences for doing wrong. So that's evidence that God's law was written on their hearts that they know right and wrong. Now, the most exciting thing about the passage, I think, is what Luke does not tell us directly, but what is obvious from the text. So number three, the Maltese people did not know the gospel. They did not know the gospel message. Verses 8 to 10. Let me read verses 8 to 10 just to refresh our memory on what we're looking at. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Now, they did not know the gospel message. And so my question first is, did Paul preach the gospel message? Because Luke doesn't record that he preached or that he taught in any way. What he do, The only thing he records is that Paul healed people. And there are two situations where he records Paul healing people. First, Publius's father. He's the leader of the people, and his father was sick. And the Greek here, the, the, the forms of the Greek words here that Luke uses um, indicates that this was, uh, you know, dysentery and, and then fevers, and this was like an ongoing thing. And so the, the Greek grammar here indicates that this is something he's been struggling with um, for a while. So Paul goes in, he prays for him, he lays his hands on him, and he heals him. God gives him the power to heal him. And then the second situation is where once that word gets around, which word spreads quickly when somebody does something extraordinary, um, the sick people all over the island all come and they descend on Paul and they want him to pray and so for them and heal him. And so they, he heals the sick people of the island. That's all that Luke tells us. Luke doesn't tell us that he taught anything or that he preached anything. We know that they didn't, like, the point is that they didn't know the gospel message, but I think it's obvious that they did by the time they set sail. So let's look at four things that I think are interesting to note here. Number one, Paul never wastes an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Paul never wastes an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And I put in my notes here, just as a reference for myself, chapter, Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 28. We were, we're introduced to Paul in chapter 9, and from that point until the end of the book, Paul is everywhere he goes, every opportunity he gets, every time he has a chance to, he is proclaiming the gospel message. And so they were on, 
they remember this was winter the beginning of winter they had to winter that's what the, they they had set sail because they wanted to get another 40 miles around the coast of the island that they were on so that they could be in a better place to winter so they were on the island of malta through the winter for three months they're there for three months that's plenty of time for paul to preach about christ i think what we know of paul we've studied acts now i feel like we know paul pretty well I think what we know of Paul indicates that if he's in any place for more than 24 hours, he's going to be preaching Christ. Point number two, or second thing to note, in Acts, God does the miraculous through the apostles in order to confirm the gospel message. God does the miraculous through the apostles to confirm their gospel message. As we've studied Acts, we saw it at the beginning of Acts with the 11, and then um, they brought on Matthias, uh, the 12 apostles. There were some other people who had kind of, who had accepted the gospel message, had become leaders in the church, like Philip, who um, there's some specific things about him healing people, or, um, about him doing the miraculous. Uh, Stephen was one that... Uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we've got instances at the beginning, and then we've got the life of Paul that we read about in the second half of the book. And what we have learned is that every time God did the miraculous, it was in order to confirm the gospel that was being proclaimed. Um, so God, and God did this throughout Jesus' earthly life as well. Here's my message. Here, I'm giving through my messenger, and in order to show you that I have commissioned this, I'm going to also give him the ability to do something that is divine in nature. They're going to do the miraculous. And so there's healings. There's driving out of demons. There is, um, I think, um, we've got uh, situations where people were, crippled and they had been crippled since birth and jesus healed them or peter healed them and so there were the the miraculous that god did through his servants was to say there's credibility in this message that they're giving you as they are proclaiming the gospel so with that note with that understanding if paul healed people then you can bet paul preached the gospel and paul did heal people number three the Maltese people honored them with gifts as they left, indicating that they had formed a strong common bond in the spirit. Now, let me explain this a little bit. When they were getting ready to set sail, Luke tells us that they provided everything that they would need. They, they poured out, showered gifts and blessings on them. If Paul had not proclaimed the gospel, then there would have been no bond that would have been created. So if he didn't teach or preach, they would have come. The people were hospitable. They entertained them. They helped them. Um, but there would have been no bond in the spirit. So there would have been no need to, certainly no need to provide provisions for 276 people. If they had come on settled in the island and Paul had proclaimed the gospel and they were and they rejected it if they were in opposition to that message 
then they wouldn't have showered them with kindness. They would have driven them out um, as Paul was so many times chased out of town. But if he came and he proclaimed the gospel and people received it, and there were three months of teaching and discipling and encouraging and blessing and, and um, helping people to grow closer to Christ, then you would expect to see what we see at the end of their time there when they're getting ready to take off. They shower them with gifts. They, in fact, Luke says, doesn't just say that they gave them things. He says they honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So there is this, I think, the Holy Spirit creating this bond that we've seen so many other times in Acts. Paul comes, he meets people that are believers that he didn't know before, and they instantly are so, there's such a bond there that when Paul leaves, they weep because they don't want him to go on to Jerusalem and face his death. So then the question is, why doesn't Luke record any preaching and teaching? And my fourth point is, I think, did I put a fourth point up there? Yeah. Sorry, it's kind of low on the screen. I think, let's see if this will go down a little farther. I knew that was tight when I put that on the slide. I don't think Luke saw the necessity. Luke has recorded all through Acts when Paul preaches. He's obviously made known to the reader what we've just talked about, these three things, that Paul doesn't waste an opportunity, and that in Acts God does the miraculous to confirm the gospel message. Um, we see that um, the reader would know that the Maltese people have honored them and that there's some kind of bond. And so I don't know that Luke saw the necessity to mention what is, in his mind, probably the obvious. We know by this, this point in Luke's long volume that Paul is going to preach wherever he goes. Now, one more thing that's not one of the things that I put on here, but just something that we learn from church tradition. And Church tradition is not something that should override theology. It's not something that should be the single thing that we build a theology around. But church tradition is important. It is something that, hel that helps us understand what was going on at the time or what might have been a practice. And so church tradition, I, I don't just throw tradition out the window. Church tradition holds two things that I think are pretty important here. One, it holds that the Maltese church began at this time. The place where Paul, uh, where the ship had broken up and they all swam to shore, that place is called St. Paul's Harbor. To this day, there's a church nearby that's named for St. Paul. So the, the church's tradition is that when Paul was there, he did preach and he did establish a, a church in the name of Jesus that continued and the other thing that I think is interesting here that church tradition holds is that the first pastor of that church at the time was a man by the name of Publius, which would make sense. He is the leader of the people, and if they as a people accepted the gospel, who better to lead them than the person who's already leading them? So... The point is that they didn't know the gospel message prior to the shipwreck, but they did by the time they left. 
All right, so as we wrap up, you know, I, uh, at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about some of those crazy laws. Um, the type of law that if a newcomer comes to town, you probably need to warn them, right? Hey, buddy, if you're going to go fishing in Chicago, leave your giraffe at home because you can't sit on his neck and fish at the same time. Or, hey, you got a single daughter, make sure she's not parachuting on Sundays. You know, that type of thing. Those are things that people need to know because you, don't, you don't go to town expecting that kind of a law to be in place. If we were citizens in a place like that with strange laws like that, it would be our duty to inform them when they come to town. But the law of God is different. It's already something that God has written on the hearts of people, so it's something that they know and they understand according to what Scripture tells us. So if we're sharing the gospel with somebody, as Paul did everywhere he went, we know that the message that we're sharing is not going to be completely foreign to them. They may not believe it. They may not have heard it. They may not have heard the specifics of the gospel message. Scripture does not say that God put on their heart an understanding that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But Romans 1 and Romans 2 talk about how God has revealed himself and he's written his law on the hearts of men. And so if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, they may not know the details that they need to know for salvation, but you're not starting from scratch. There's a foundation there to work with There's a basic understanding of right and wrong that God has put there. He put it on the on the hearts of the Maltese people, and he put he's put it in the hearts and the minds of your friends and your family and the people that you might encounter in your workday or wherever you're at. And they might not want to hear the message. But I want you to be encouraged because they know the basics. God has begun a work in them to reveal himself to them. He's written it on their hearts. And God will, until the day they die, will continue to reveal himself to them. And he's going to use you as his messenger at times to remind them that they need to respond to what he's put on their hearts. They need to respond to him in faith before his law is enforced with an eternal judgment. And so be encouraged. You're not going into a situation that's impossible. You're not going into a situation that is like, where do I even start? God's already started that and laid that foundation for you to build on when you're sharing your faith with people. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we see this in the Maltese people, that they know and understand right and wrong. They, they know how to be hospitable. They are demonstrating the work, uh, demonstrating that your law is written on their hearts. They don't understand who you are. They're worshiping false gods. But that's why Paul was able to build on that foundation and say, let me, let me clarify this for you. And he laid out the gospel for them and... Um, And they received that. And then they had a common bond in the Spirit. And Father, we want to be people who are bold, that are not afraid to engage people with the gospel message. So I pray that we are encouraged to know 
if we don't have to start from the beginning laying a foundation, you've already done that. Help us to be bold and to know how to build on your foundation that you've already started um, and use us to bring many people to glory. In Jesus' name, amen.